Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. For those of you who are new and are tuning in for the very first time, welcome, my friends. We are so excited and grateful to have you. Friends, memories, and late night studying. These are the things you most associate with your university days. But what if you took an idea from your studies and created a viable business out of it? And not just any business, but one that directly helped babies. That's what today's guest, Amy Yu, did when she studied a biomedical engineering degree at the University of Melbourne. Now, Amy is the co-founder and CTO of Ventura Medical, a Melbourne-based medical device startup with a mission to help premature babies breathe. In today's episode, Amy shares the value in connecting with people from different networks, taking the brave leap to follow your dreams, and how she took an idea from university and turned it into a fully-fledged business. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project, so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, without further ado, welcome Amy. Amy, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Um, it adds excitement to my day, especially being in lockdown at the moment. So excited to be on. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Amazing, Amy. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in the health tech space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No worries at all. Amazing. So look, 
For those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I am the co-founder and CTO of Ventura Medical. We are an early stage medical device company and we're developing an airway pressure monitoring device for infants on non-invasive respiratory support. So this device will improve the accuracy of how non-invasive respiratory support treatment is provided to these vulnerable infants. So incredible, Amy. Oh my goodness. I just, when I was looking into you and your business, I was just like, oh, just people changing the world. I can't even, Um, and I can't wait to dive deeper into it. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So, yeah, my parents were first-generation immigrants from China. They came here in their mid-20s. And when they came here, it was about starting their life almost from scratch again. Um, My dad studied hydraulic engineering in China and he worked as an engineer in Beijing. But when he came to Australia, the opportunities just weren't really there. And so for him, it was about what can I study or where can I get my foot in that will get me a stable um, job quickly and so he decided to do um, postgraduate computer science. My mum, her parents were both English teachers and she actually studied English as an undergrad Um, and I'm not sure if she was planning to go down that route as well but that changed when she moved to Australia. So I guess my, yeah, Dad's plan worked out for him. He has been working in IT at a university for about 20 years. Um, and my mum, when she had my sister and I, she ended up staying home for most of the time, which we're really grateful for. Um, and she just kept busy in a number of part-time jobs. But, yeah, for my parents, they really valued education. They valued stability. They valued getting a good job. And I guess that's a long-winded way of me saying that growing up, um, that was the goal for me as well. Education, um, going to university and getting a good job. And I didn't really have influencers who were in business or in entrepreneurship. Oh my goodness, Amy, it's just so fascinating. And I can almost, you know, I I feel like I'm getting to know your parents just through understanding their mindset and like, you know, then getting to know you because of course, with that kind of mindset of, you know, we've got to just try and make it and education is number one. You know, I had very similar foundations with my parents. It was a similar thing. It was go get yourself, you know, really great education. And that is just absolutely top. How do you think that shaped you as you started to grow up and understand and learn more about the world around you outside of your home, outside of your parents' perception of life, I guess? And was there ever a time where you felt like you wrestled with that idea of, is this right for me? You know, is going to get that secure job right? Is going to get that education right? Did that ever cross your mind? And if so, how did you kind of come to terms with that? Yeah, look, not really. I think growing up, I tended to share the same values as my parents. Um, Going to university wasn't really a question for me. It was finish school, 
go to university, study whatever degree I ended up being. Um, my parents weren't pushy in that regard. They were supportive in what um, in whatever I decided to choose to do. Um, but yeah, growing up, I mean, I found high school relatively easy. I could get good grades without trying too hard. And I enjoyed most subjects. So I had my foot in, you know, math, science. I really enjoyed economics as well, um, sport, music. So when it came down to choosing my final six subjects for year 11 and year 12, I ended up just choosing the subjects that needed to be prerequisites for university courses. So the classic maths, physics, chemistry, um, but, you know, I did actually love the hands-on aspect of the science courses, um, but they weren't necessarily what I was passionate about. I didn't really know what I was passionate about. Um, I was never that kid who knew exactly what they wanted to be when they grew up. Um, it changed multiple times a year. I think I went through phases of wanting to be a teacher, uh, an engineer, um, marine biologist, physiotherapist and I think even all four of my university preferences were all completely different so yeah I just I really wasn't sure as to what I wanted to do growing up and it wasn't until a few years ago that I wanted to step outside of the box. For our peers out there listening who feel unsure you know, they don't know what it is, what next job they want to get, if they're in the right career or what they want to study at uni. What advice would you give to those of us who are struggling and feel confused and perhaps we're feeling a bit anxious about the fact that we don't know what we want to do with our lives? What advice would you give to us? Yeah, I think a piece of advice would be it's okay to take a step back. You don't have to go straight from high school into university into a course that you're not even sure what it is. You know, I did chemical engineering. I didn't really know what a chemical engineer does. So it's okay to take a step back. Um, You could have a gap year and travel and learn about yourself and what you're passionate about, understanding what your values are. But it's also okay to start off in jobs or a career that you're not necessarily passionate about. And along the way, you'll learn um, what you like and what you don't like and what you value. So, you know, we've got plenty of time. Life does go very fast, but we've got plenty of time to get there and follow our passions. And follow your passion you did. You know, before you got there, you did a lot of university studies. I saw that you were at the University of WA, so Western Australia. You did your Bachelor of Science, Engineering Science, and then you did your Master's. As you said, you moved to Melbourne here in Oz. Moved to Melbourne and did your Master's of Engineering at the University of Melbourne. And I think it was then that, and look, I might be wrong on this, but I think you were working at the university at the time while you were still doing your degrees in the sports department you know talk to us a little bit about that move to Melbourne um you know for our peers out there listening who don't live in Oz it's going from one side of the country to the other um kind of very 
I wouldn't say very different lifestyles, but you know, you're going to a bigger city um, and whatnot. What was that transition like for you personally? And then how did you navigate those kind of early days working um, at the University of Melbourne in the sports department? Well, moving to Melbourne was actually never something on my list of things to do. I never envisioned myself moving to Melbourne. I thought that I would stay in Perth, um, you know, raise my future family in Perth. But I guess to provide a bit of context, um, yeah, you mentioned that I went to UWA and I um, majoring in chemical engineering and also pathology and laboratory medicine. And to be honest, my undergrad was mostly going through the motions, going to lectures, doing assignments, but I was still really unsure as to whether chemical engineering was for me. I think I chose it because my dad was an engineer. Um, It was also quite a common degree to do um, being in Western Australia and I was good at maths and chemistry and physics. Um, Yeah, so looking back, I do find it crazy that if you do decide to go down the university path straight after school, you're asked as a 16-year-old to choose what you want to do for what seems like the rest of your life. Like looking back now, I know that your career path will likely change and it can change but back then it seemed like a huge decision so naturally I I chose what I was good at at school but it wasn't necessarily what I was passionate about and so while my engineering marks were good and I just found maths and chemistry quite intuitive um, and easy um, and my marks in the pathology and laboratory medicine side They may not have been as good as my engineering marks, but I really liked learning about all the different types of diseases and medical conditions and their treatments. And as part of my final year, we actually had an assignment that was centred around bioengineering. And that's when I thought maybe I could combine engineering and innovation with healthcare and medicine to solve problems to improve health outcomes for patients so yeah literally that week I hopped onto Google and I started googling what is biomedical engineering are there any courses in it and I found the course at the University of Melbourne and back then it was only offered at a couple of universities in Australia Um, now it's actually offered at UWA as well it's very much a growing area um, but that's what led my move to Melbourne. I just I found the course and I was willing to pack my bags and move to the other side of the country. How do we get comfortable when we're put in really uncomfortable situations, like for you, taking the leap, taking the plunge and moving to Melbourne? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever comfortable making a big decision like that. <laughs> I, it's really not. I didn't know anyone in Melbourne so it was and a few weeks before I moved um yeah my mum and I came over and we're looking at houses and meeting potential housemates and all of that it's it's really quite scary at 20 you know um moving to the other side of the country you're a four-hour flight away from home but I think knowing that if everything goes wrong um, I could have just gone back home 
you know, there was nothing to lose for me really. Um, and yeah, it worked out for me. It worked out for you. It definitely did. So I want to talk a little bit about the time, you know, studying what you were actually kind of interested in and also trying to navigate the early world of work, you know. Could you talk to us a little bit about what those years were like and I guess what they taught you about yourself and the world around you? Yeah, so... Yeah, you mentioned that I was working at the university during my studies and I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity. Um, Obviously, it's very handy having your work right where you study. Um, But working at Melbourne University, I was exposed to all the different types of people at the university doing amazing things. I was lucky enough to be in a customer service role so I could talk to these people. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I guess it really just taught me that we are all capable of doing incredible things because I met, like, even the people that I worked with at Melbourne University Sport, there were medical students, um, people studying chemistry, people studying the arts and humanities. And then we could all come to this job at Melbourne University Sport and also share our passion for sport as well. So something like sport um, can really bring people together. What do you think the value is of having these different perspectives? You know, you mentioned that, you know, people were studying the arts and some people studying science and there you were all together kind of united. What do you think? the value is of that, of the different perspectives of kind of perhaps broadening your network or your circle so that you aren't just surrounded by those who think exactly like you do and kind of, yeah, on the exact same path as you. What do you think the value of that is and how can we get better at cultivating those circles of people that have those different perspectives? Yeah, it's hard because when you are studying in a particular field or working in a particular field, it's really easy to get um, stuck with people who have might have the same background as you um, or have similar values and passions as you. But when you dig deeper and get to know people um, more intimately, you actually find that they have vastly different stories to you. Um, and that different perspective, it just allows you to open up your mind a little bit more and you can identify different problems in the world and you can come up with different solutions. I mean, if everyone had the same mind and the same background, there would be no innovation in this world and no problems would ever get solved. Mm. So, so true. So I want to shift to when you started your business, so Ventoria. So I think it was in December of 2018. You were straight out of uni. I think you just finished. Um, And I think you were still working at the university when this happened. But talk to us a little bit about where the idea for Ventoria came about and what were the first few steps that you took to really 
kind of get it going and get it off the ground? Yeah, sure. Well, Ventura Medical, it actually spun out of a course at the University of Melbourne. So I mentioned that I did my Master's of Engineering at the University of Melbourne. And as part of my final year of studies, you could either choose to do a research project, what they call a capstone project, or there was the option to apply for a course called Biodesign Innovation. And Biodesign Innovation, it's a course inspired from the Biodesign Innovation course at Stanford University. But essentially what the course does is it brings together um, engineering students, so Masters of Engineering students, as well as MBA students as well from the Melbourne Business School, so that you have both the technical mindset as well as the business mindset um, when you're going out to solve clinical problems. So we spent the first half of that year needs finding. So we were going into hospitals and talking to clinicians and nurses about the problems that they faced day to day. And we did this in a number of clinical areas, um, including cardiology, ophthalmology, um, and then, of course, neonatology. But that allowed us to, yeah, get right into the environment and observe clinical practice Um, because understanding the problem is absolutely fundamental to developing the right solution. And so by the end of the first semester, we had a huge list of clinical needs but one that resonated with us and one that we believed that we could solve was one in the neonatal intensive care unit. So when we went to the neonatal intensive care unit, we interviewed um, a neonatologist. Her name is Associate Professor Christiane Theda and she's actually a co-founder of Ventura now. Um, So she's been with us from the start, but she put forward this problem that's been in the back of her mind during her time practicing as a neonatologist. And basically, as you can imagine, um, most of the infants admitted to neonatal intensive care, they're premature. And so a lot of them have underdeveloped lungs and they require some sort of breathing support um, to help with their breathing. And this can be invasive respiratory support so that's mechanical ventilation where the baby is intubated but there's also non-invasive respiratory support such as CPAP which people might be familiar with um, as it's also used for sleep apnea Um, and then there's also another mode called high flow nasal cannula and so essentially these systems they are applied via nasal prongs and they provide a positive air pressure or flow to the infant's respiratory system to make breathing easier for the baby. Um, But what we found was that due to the non-invasive nature of these systems, they're literally just prongs inserted into the nostrils, there are many sources of leak in the system, so air can leak out of the nostrils, out of the mouth, um, even into the stomach. And so what clinicians were telling us was that they were setting a pressure or flow on the support system or the machine 
not knowing whether that pressure was actually being delivered to the lungs. So they were saying things like, you know, we use the guess and check method. Um, we don't actually know what's being delivered to the respiratory system. And we just thought in an environment like a neonatal intensive care unit, shouldn't treatment be more evidence-based rather than guessing and checking? And so that was the need that we decided upon and we went away and did some brainstorming um, and we decided that we would develop an airway pressure monitoring device for these infants so that clinicians can make more informed clinical decisions. And so that was our final year um, university project. We developed a large-scale benchtop model of the device, but it was very much a proof of concept. It was yeah, about 20 times the size that, that the device needs to be because obviously these babies are really, really small and we would have to scale down um, the device so that it can be used in a preterm baby. And then as part of that, we also developed a very, very um, rudimentary business plan as well as part of our final assignment. Um, but when we graduated, we entered a few pitch competitions um, and presented our idea at an event or final conference sort of, which is called Endeavour. And it's where all the master's students at the University of Melbourne present their final year projects. And we got a lot of traction and so that's when we were like, okay, maybe this is something that we can pursue further. And it sort of started from there. Oh, my goodness. It's it's just so fascinating, I think, the fact that this was born out of your university. It was like part of your degrees, you know, that that to me is just so, so interesting. How do we take a university project or a side project or a side idea and actually turn that into a viable business, you know, that generates income to live off for, for the team. Like, how does that happen? And, you know, at what point for you did you feel like, hang on a second, this could actually be my full-time job? Yeah, it's a hard one transitioning university projects to um, ventures. It's really hard. Um for me personally, um, yeah, I, I must admit it wasn't an easy decision for me to make. Um, I mentioned at the start of this interview that I grew up with values of getting a stable job um, and so what I ended up doing was applying for full-time roles, thinking that I could have the best of both worlds, <laughs> you know, working full-time and doing Ventura on the side but realistically, um, that would have meant that Ventura's progress would have been so much slower. What happened for me was that I was applying for jobs and then I just started getting this gut feeling um, of how do I sell myself to this potential employer when I'm actually thinking about the possibilities of Ventura. And, yeah, it was just about making that leap um, of going full-time into Ventura straight away. And that's where my job at the university, I continued to work there part-time to support myself because, of course, 
you know, we didn't have any funding. So, yeah, I mean, how come university projects? I think it relies a lot on funding. Um, there needs to be some sort of support either from the university or maybe it's from the government to fund projects to enable them to transition from research into a venture. I love how you mentioned that, you know, you have had this gut feeling when you were in these interviews and you were just like, hang on a second, like, what am I doing here? You know, how can we get better at cultivating or perhaps listening to that gut feeling. I feel like most of us have had those gut feelings before, but we often try and like push them down and like pretend that we don't feel what we feel. You know, how can we become more courageous at following our gut feelings? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, It's so tough, especially when the other side is a stable job with a stable income and the and then you know doing your own thing is potentially no income for the foreseeable future um i wish there was a definitive answer to this i think yes it's a gut feeling but it's also about your values and what you value so for me my values were you know making an impact giving back um and i also wanted to do work that kept me on my toes. So starting a startup, you know, that fulfilled those values. Um, But for others, yeah, it might be very different. What were some of those early challenges you faced once you'd made that courageous decision? You were like, you know what, I'm going to do this. The startup is my thing. Ventura is it. What were some of the early challenges you faced and how did you guys go about tackling them? Yeah, a major early challenge was getting early stage funding. Um, When developing a medical device, a lot of capital is required. And how do you get that capital when coming out of university, um, all you really have is a benchtop concept? Who really is going to invest in that when your technology hasn't been proven. So we were lucky enough to take part in a MedTech-focused pitch competition. It was called MedTech's Got Talent Then, but it's now called The Origin. And the MedTech Actuator, who are an accelerator program, they run that pitch competition. So we entered that competition straight after university. Um, We were lucky enough to get through each, each round um, and take part in their boot camp where we were exposed to the networks. Since we were selected as um, one of their finalists, we got $10,000 um, in funding and that was our first bit of validation, I guess, for what we were doing and it allowed us to partner with a product developer to help us, yeah, develop our product concepts Um, and then after that I think 2019 it was a slow year for us so we finished up with that pitch competition early 2019 Um, and yeah it was a slow year for us because we didn't have the funding 
And so we applied for the MedTech Actuator Accelerator program later that year. And as part of that, we got our first lot of pre-seed funding from a venture firm. And that really is where we took off. It's so, so fascinating. How do we keep going when we feel like <laughs> when we feel like we've been at it full time for a year or for six months or whatever it may be, and it's just not working out? Like the money's not coming through, we're not signing a deal, or we don't have venture capital. How do we stay motivated to keep going? I think you stay motivated to keep going if you have a true passion in the problem that you're solving. Um, I think if you don't have a passion for what you're solving, then it's really easy to just, you know, think, well, I, I could be in a full-time role earning money. And why would I be doing this with no salary? Um, and so I, th- that's the key really because if you – yeah, I just don't see why you would continue something um, that's taking a long time, is not earning you any money, unless you really had a passion for what you were doing. Oh my goodness, Amy, I'm finding this so, so interesting, but I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple kind of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I've had a think about the failure question um, and I even spoke to my co-founders about it and I think we agreed that we don't think that we've had any failures but there's definitely been things that we haven't been successful in. Now I guess you could argue that the definition of failure is not being successful in something but we don't want to define those things as failures. Um, So we've certainly done pitch competitions and pitch to investors who weren't interested in what we were doing. Um, We've applied for government grants and other grants and we haven't been successful. We've had setbacks in our timelines, especially with COVID, um, but we don't actually define these as failures. Um, I think as cliche as it sounds, we see them as opportunities to improve Um, We use the feedback that we get from pitches and grant applications so that we can succeed next time. Um, We use our setbacks in our timelines to identify what the cause of the setbacks have been. Was it communication? Was it supply of materials and equipment? Was it our external stakeholders? so that we can um, avoid those in the future. A time that we've succeeded, um, I guess going back to the pandemic, but we were able to successfully close an investment round last year in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And I think that has been Yeah, I mean, one of our greatest successes because it showed that we can be agile, we're able to change our plans um, to achieve what we set out to achieve. Um, You know, we had to delay our fundraising round because when the pandemic hit in April, people were telling us left, right and centre, 
no, you shouldn't be um, raising capital during this time. There's no um, investment appetite out there. Um, so we did have to delay our round. Um, but then when things settled a little bit, um, when I say settled, that was before the second wave hit. <laughs> but, yeah, we set everything up for our launch of our investment round and that meant having online webinars instead of holding an in-person investor event, which we were planning to do as part of our launch campaign. It meant pitching over Zoom and learning how to pitch over Zoom, which is actually really difficult when you can't read body language and you can't just go and have a casual coffee with an investor to develop that relationship. It was about delivering the message and value proposition succinctly over a screen. Yeah, we're really proud that we raised the capital last year. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it's a massive win. Like, wow, you know, in the midst of a pandemic. And I think you're just so right on that point of, you know, having to learn how to communicate via a screen. Like, you know, even us now, we used to do these, you know, in the early days of the podcast, all of them in person and, you know, have that energy and be able to go deep. And it is such an art and a skill to sell or to pitch or to really build that genuine relationship over a screen so you know c commend you guys on that one so look over the last three years in business you've really gone from strength to strength you know obviously you received your round last year but most notably you were featured on the forbes 30 under 30 list of 2021 what are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Mm, okay. If I was to give advice to me starting out as a founder, um, I would tell myself that it is a long journey. It's a hard journey and it's full of ups and downs. Um, I think this is something that's not spoken about enough in the founder community. Um, and at the beginning, when you first founded your company, it's easy to get caught up on in all the glamorous things of being a founder. You see on LinkedIn all the pitch competitions that people have won, awards that they've won, founders raising huge amounts of capital, selling their companies for millions of dollars. But what you don't see is the roller coaster ride that it likely took them to get there. Um, unless they were an overnight success. You don't see the sleepless nights. You don't see, like, yeah, weeks and weeks of just being under the pump. And especially being in medtech, it's a very complex and long development and commercialisation journey. You know, we have lots and lots of hurdles that we have to get through before the product can even be sold and that's before thinking about, yeah, what are, what are the strategies that you're going to take to sell your product? This is just to get it, um, you know, approved to be sold. Um, so, yeah, that's something I would tell myself. Um, and then I would also tell my old self who was, you know, hesitant to jump into business and to start 
our own company to not be so afraid of failing. So we're two and a half years in now and we're still a few years from market. You know, we're, pre, we're pre-market, we're still fairly early stage and there's a chance that something might not go to plan and Ventura could fail. But I think telling myself back then that even if it did fail, you didn't just throw years of your life down the drain. And that's what I thought would happen if we did fall over. I thought, why would I waste three years or more of my life doing something that quote unquote failed? Um, But I've learned so much over the last few years developing Ventura. I've taken part in various courses, accelerator programs, um, developed my network um, of experts in the industry, fellow founders, founders who aren't in medtech, founders all over the place. Um, And yeah, I've been lucky enough to to have been a part of Ventura achieving numerous milestones. Um, including, you know, submitting a patent, um, developing a prototype that's to scale and it works, and we managed to raise capital in the midst of a global pandemic. And that was two. My final piece of advice would be to make use of the people around you. Um, Advisors and mentors are so important when you're starting out. Um, and they're so generous with their time as well. I found that the entrepreneurship community has been especially generous in giving back to younger founders. Um, you can lean on them. You can learn from their successes and their failures. And ultimately, they'll guide you to where you need to get to. Oh, so, so valuable. Just so well said. Oh, look, Amy, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for all of the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us, you know, and particularly us ambitious females, that if we have that kind of dream, if we have that passion to do something a little bit different, to go against the grain, to go against perhaps even what our parents may think, we can ultimately get somewhere. You know, we can grow as a person. And as you said so eloquently, it doesn't really matter what the end result is, failure or success. It's ultimately who we become. And for that, we really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. And the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? So pursuing what you're most passionate about allows you to live your life to your values. Um, And not only that, but it allows you to be excited about what you're doing and excited to wake up each day um, to achieve what you've set out to achieve. And when you do achieve that, um, yeah, there's no better feeling. Oh, I love it. Amy, we have had an absolute blast. Thank you so much. Where can we learn more about Ventoria Medical? Sure. Um, 
our website, www.venturamedical.com, and we're also on LinkedIn at Ventura Medical. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst 